Welcome to the Riding Unicorns podcast. This is the podcast all about uncovering what it takes to build a unicorn business. I'm James Pringle. I'm a VC at Portfolio Ventures. My co-host is Hector Mason. Hector is a B2B investor at Episode 1 Ventures. Today's episode is with Audrey Handem, who is a SaaS and infrastructure investor at Speed Invest. Speed Invest is one of Europe's most active early stage investors with more than a billion euros in AUM and 40 plus investors across Berlin, London, Munich, Paris and Vienna. In this episode, we discuss Audrey's entry into venture, how Speed Invest break down their investing into specialist teams, deal flow sources, founder mistakes and so much more. Great episode. Let's get started. Hi, Audrey. Welcome to the Riding Unicorns podcast. Great to have you on. Uh, maybe we could just start with a very quick introduction to yourself and Speed Invest as a fund as well. Hi, James. Thank you so much for having me on board. Super excited to be here. So yeah, I'm an investor at Speed Invest, which is an early stage pan-European fund. But before I dive into that, maybe a bit about myself and my background. So I originally have a background in neurosciences. I basically did my bachelor's, master's, started my PhD, and quickly realized that the academic space wasn't quite the one for me and my personality specifically. Uh, after meeting a VC and basically getting enlightened by the world of tech and startups, I came back to London, did a master's in innovation and entrepreneurship, where we were actually tasked with building a startup in South Africa or Kenya. And during that time, I was just like completely mind blown by, you know, this entire new world that I was entering. Uh, and as the pandemic happened, I decided to take some time and figure out what else I liked about apart from sciences. And I found myself at Speedmas. So this was about three years ago. So the fund is a generalist fund originally from Austria with specialized teams. So the teams include fintech, deep tech, industrial tech, marketplaces and consumer. And I may have missed one, but the one the team that I'm in is the SaaS and Infra team. Uh, so in the SaaS and Infra team at Speedinvest, we're a team of five. And we basically invest across the entire software stack as long as it's B2B. So the way that we kind of portrayed it is if you were to look at, I don't know, like a, like a stack or a pyramid, at the top of the stack, we start with like the application layers, you know, with all of the shiny looking tools and no-code, low-code tools, API layers, developer tools, designer tools. And then we go into the infrastructure side of things with cybersecurity, blockchain, infrastructure cloud, infrastructure AI. What we call blockchain doesn't actually have to be a Web3 company. It's pretty much anything that would be blockchain based. So yeah, so this is like high level what our fund, what our fund does. We primarily invest in pre-seed and seed startups and we're based all across Europe. So we have offices in Austria, Berlin, Munich, London, Paris, and, and we've got quite, a, quite an extensive network in the US for portfolios that want to take over the US market. And on top of providing our founders with, as we like to say, funding and good vibes, we also have a team of operational experts that are pretty much there to help you with like anything ranging from fundraising, marketing, expense and geographies, and the list goes on. So yeah, so that's us. Awesome. So was the person that introduced you to VC a VC themselves? And what did they tell you about the industry that made you realize that that was an area you wanted to go into? Absolutely. So the person I met was actually, you know, I was still in New York at the time at Columbia University, and I was just attending this tech transfer unit conference where some of the lab projects were actually presenting their work to potential investors or other labs. And so this person is actually a Series B investor between New York and Shanghai. And as a good VC, he was just out there networking, chatting around. 
And he really made me realize that there wasn't just academia in this world. So once you get into academia, they only tell you that you can stay in academia and that's about it. So what really opened my eyes, which is everything about like startups. So at the time I was thinking I could potentially get into a biotech startup and work in that. But obviously I didn't have any expertise in the business world. So what was basically enlightening was that, okay, so I need to get a business degree, but to get a business degree, I'd have to go back and do my studies. And then there was the whole aspect of also potentially being a founder myself. So it was like really working on a real world project. And I'd say the one thing that really marked me is also that when you're in academia, I'd say like for you to actually see some impact, you're going to see it in like 30, 50 years. Whilst with VC, it's more something like the life cycle is a bit quicker. So you would see it within like, let's say 10 years or five years even. So that's something that I really have close to my heart. So Great. Well, VC is often criticized for having a very slow feedback loop. So it's great to know that we outperform some industries in, in terms of that. So what is your favorite thing about VC now? That's actually a very good question. I would say everything about the job is my favorite thing, but let me break it down. I would say first and foremost, venture capital is a very people-driven business. And from me actually quitting my PhD to actually entering the industry, it's really been quite a prominent theme. And still today, it's quite a big theme. So you talk about, you know, investor, founder fit. So basically, we our job is basically to find the best founders that are out there and back them. But also on the, on the flip side, it, the founders basically need to find the right investors for them. So in that way, it's very like people driven, which I absolutely love. And then also there's the aspect that I'm a highly curious person and you're just cons like constantly learning new things and just, yeah, it's very much, a, it's a very stimulating um, industry. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. So Audrey, where do you find your best deals? What are the best deal flow sources for you? Wow, my best source of deal flow. I think it falls back into the into the theme of people driven. I'd say my best source of deal flow would be from my network, whether it's from angel investors, portfolio founders actually pinging over founders that they just met and they think that what they're building is super interesting. Or then again, it can also be just like, you know, desk work, just sourcing, going on different platforms, seeing what's out there. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I mean, generally good deals come through connections and network. There is something also really exciting about finding a deal yourself or developing a thesis and then finding a company that's solving that problem. Uh, and, and so what is the biggest mistake you see founders making in their fundraising process? This is actually a really good question because there are mistakes that first-time founders will make. And then there are also mistakes that let's say either it's, 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 it's a portfolio company or it's a founder that's already raised before we'll be making. So I'm going to start with, let's say like the first time founders during the fundraising process. Some of them, they're not fully honest sometimes. And I think that's something that most founders should know. Most VCs know each other. So that is, I'd say the first one. The second one would be to not really explain what their vision is. So they'll go through their product, they'll go through everything, but they but then you leave the call not really knowing like, okay, this makes sense, but what is your long-term vision for this? Like, we're trying to believe and understand, you know, what your bigger picture is for this. And that's pretty much what we're buying into. And that's usually the most exciting part of the job is like, oh my God, like this is going to be huge in like 10 years. So I think a lot of times like founders, they kind of get all caught up in like the product and, and all of that, but they don't actually give you 
you know, what is their core reason as to why they want to build this and why they believe that this is actually going to be a billion dollar business in, let's say, like 10 years. So yeah, so there's there's that aspect. And then in terms of, let's say, at a later point in the fundraising process, when the founders are, you know, they've signed a term sheet and, and you know, they're going through the legal legal stuff. We've seen a few founders that they decide not to get legal counsel, which I would advise getting legal counsel because it just makes everyone's lives easier, like the founders, the investors, and so on. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I, I would advise that I see very often. And they do it like later on after like many back and forth when things could just be easier off, off the bat. Now, on the flip side, for the founders that are portfolio founders, sometimes, and I, I wouldn't say it's really a mistake, but I think it's something that needs to be strategically thought about and discussed with, with investors, as you know, we, we see this quite often. It's let's say you do your fundraise and then there's like the announcement of the raise. And a lot of founders are like, oh, we're ra- we've raised, okay, let's, let's announce it straight away. And I think there's like a lot of strategy behind that. And there's quite a few founders that rush into it. And then, you know, the momentum gets lost when it's time to raise the next round or, or, or when they're trying to get clients and, and things like that. So I think that's one thing that, you know, really needs to be um, thought through properly. And then I would say also when they are fundraising for their next round, I think it's very important for these founders to be pragmatic and not just get super excited as soon as like a fund, you know, shows interest and, and leads them on. Because, I mean, it's an emotional roller coaster, even for us as your, you know, first investors, you know, we're excited with you and so on. But it, like, it's our job to also just keep you grounded and just wait until everything is signed off. And yeah, so I think that's my second one for our portfolio founders. Yeah, those are all great mistakes to pick up on. And some fairly common ones, um, which founders should really take note of because they're they're fairly easy to rectify and action upon. And if any law firms are listening and want to sponsor the podcast, just let us know Um, because we're always open to new sponsors. Um, So Audrey, um, was there anything you look for now that maybe you didn't when you started out in VC? What has changed about how you view companies that you come across? So I would say there are there are a few things, but one thing that has really developed for me is really finding that founder product fit and also that experience that, that you know that they've actually experienced the problem and that they understand how to solve it, and also how the founders work together and what are their weaknesses and failures. So I would say now I'm much more diligent in terms of you know like my market research and the founder research that I that I run during during my due diligence processes, and also. I'm a bit more thesis-driven. Well, we at Speedinvest are more thesis-driven than quite a few funds that are out there. So we, we tend to tap into our network quite a bit to really understand, you know, like what, what is the core problem that, you know, said founders are solving and, and how exactly the, the rest of the world or their potential clients are, are, are seeing it. So that's something that I've seen myself develop over time. Yeah, it's so refreshing when a founder can explain why this is the best solution to the problem and maybe why it hasn't been done so far as well um, and why they're the right person to kind of execute. That's ultimately what we're looking for. Not many ideas are completely original, so it really does come down to execution. So a bit of a technical question for VC, but um, the market's constantly changing its expectations. Um, what do you think are the required metrics to raise a Series A for a SaaS company 
2023 slash 2024. So that's, that's probably the most interesting question. As we know, in 2021, startups were basically raising at crazy valuations with barely any revenues. And it was, it was just easy. Like it took maybe two, three weeks for them to, to be able to raise. Today with the, with the downturn, we're seeing something completely different. So VCs are actually being much more, much more diligent in their work, which is nice because obviously we're back here doing our jobs where we're actually, you know, doing our back of the napkin um, calculations. But also for founders, it's, it's quite tricky, right? Because some founders, they're probably still not quite aware of how things are going. I hope that they are now because it's been almost like almost a year. But I would say in terms of the metrics, so back in, I'd say, 2021 or 2020 for a Series A would be 1 mil ARR. Now, speaking with Series A investors, some of them are even like, yeah, it's close to 2 mil, 2.5 mil ARR. So the numbers are, are very different. And obviously, I'd say like the best advice for founders that are raising a seed round right now is instead of going for, you know, your, I don't know, 12 to 18 months runway, make sure that you, you're well protected for at least 24 months because you never know what could actually happen. That being said, there are still quite a few funds, obviously, if like the growth, the, you know, the year on year growth is, is, is good enough, like they will invest at a, you know, 1.5 mil ARR KPI. Yeah, it is very interesting for founders because it has moved um, and there will always be an exception to the rule. Um, but I think we can all agree as investors that we're generally taking a sort of 10 year plus outlook on a company. So the difference between 1.3 and 1.7 million ARR doesn't necessarily matter if, if the velocity is good, net retention's good, um, other metrics are are pointing in the right direction. But it is interesting to see the market move quite significantly and almost doubling of expectations in the last 24 months, which is kind of crazy. What do you advise companies that are maybe a little short on the numbers? We've all got businesses in our portfolio that have maybe managed to extend their last round, but they're probably getting to the crunch point now where they do need to raise. Um, so... Yeah, how how do you sort of deal with those businesses within your portfolio? Absolutely, that's that's probably the the toughest part of our job because at the end of the day, you don't want to be like at a stage where you're basically telling your founders, "Well, you're going to have to fire some people," which hasn't happened yet, thankfully for for us. But I would say, I mean, the first the first thing is maybe look at different types of of funding. So. We have quite a few portfolio companies that were able to secure some grants. So there's that aspect, especially if you're in the less than 12 months runway type of thing. Obviously, we make sure that you're that you're ready in terms of, you know, like your pitch deck, your sales, your sales pitch and, and so on. But then if there are any things that you could, you know, decrease in terms of like costs, obviously, we'll try and figure that out with our founders. Awesome. Um, so you've mentioned a few things already about how Speed Invest supports founders uh, and how you invest across Europe. But what do you think really sets Speed Invest apart? Because it's been a pretty meteoric rise as a fund. So yeah, what sort of led to that? I would say, I mean, we we are very founder focused. So in terms of as, as I mentioned before, we, we have this platform team that, you know, are able to help with, you know, fundraising, marketing, growth, growth hacking, and, and the list goes on. 
But we also have a portfolio of about 250 plus companies. So we have this huge community. And if our founders ever, you know, they're ever going through any type of hardship or anything like that. And we know that some other founders have gone through the same problem. Instead of just trying to reinvent the wheel, we just, you know, facilitate these intros that they can directly reach, reach out to, to, to the set founders. We also, we, I mean, as investors in themselves, in itself, we basically, we're there to support our portfolio and, and also more than just making these intros or, you know, like helping them figure out their go-to-market. Like if they're fundraising, this is kind of like out of our hands, but we're also there for them. So, you know, just pick up the phone and chat. <laughs> yeah, I think it's really interesting just to ask because every fund sees different elements of what they do as their edge. The platform approach is, is definitely interesting. And also the fact that you break down the fund into specialist teams, even though you're a generalist fund, there are these specialist teams um, that tackle certain sectors, which I think is great. We're also, we're, we're also there in terms of like, you know, with helping them with hiring, helping them prioritize more effectively and occasionally even making potential, you know, client plan interests, whether it's from our LPs or from our general network. That's also something that we were specialized in. Yeah, sales and hiring are generally, you know, some of the biggest pains for founders. Anything funds can do around that is always great. Um, so switching tack a little bit, we always like to try and understand a bit more around our guests. You mentioned earlier a VC helped you kind of understand this world a bit better. But who is one person that's had the biggest impact on your career? The person who's had the biggest impact on my career, uh, this might sound super cheesy, but I think my boss. <laughs> uh, he hired me as an intern. He basically made me the investor that I am today. I would say that he's kind of like my mentor more than like my boss. No, well, I mean, that's great. It's important to have people around you um, that you really like working with and I think we are often shaped as investors by those that we we sort of study and work under. Um, so I think it's I think it's awesome. Um, so moving on to one of our standardized questions, if you were to give three bits of advice to anyone listening, what would they be? I would say the first one, which is something that I learned pretty early on in my in my career as, as a VC, and I actually wrote a blog post um, at the time uh, to kind of remind myself and also my colleagues about it. I'd say it's the 80-20 rule. In VC, it's it's super easy to just get caught up in, in everything that's happening. You always feel like you can do more, and then you never really have time to just like think. So I say just like use your time wisely and just like prioritize as much as possible without thinking to yourself, oh my God, I need to prioritize. Just like sit down and just like think. <laughs> the second one, which I mentioned before, is basically your network. I'm a strong believer that your network is your worth and, you know, the connections and relationships that, you know, you make on a daily or weekly basis are, are basically going to feed your career as, as you go. And then the third one would basically be to just continuously you know, refine your investment thesis because, you know, we're in an industry that's like continuously changing. There are new trends all the time and so on. And it's, again, super easy to get caught up in things. But at least for me, I found that it really helped in, in, in not really deviating into what I strongly believe in. 
Yeah. Awesome. I think prioritization is, is so critical to, especially to founders and people making their way in different careers. Like there are opportunities now, like the internet has been easier to kind of find things and find opportunities and get distracted. It is really about just like staying laser focused on the, the 20% of tasks that are going to create the 80% of impact. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and then finally, Audrey, we have our dinner party guest game. So if you were to have dinner with any three people, can be anyone, who would they be? Who would they be? So my first one would be the ex-CEO of IBM, um, Jeannie Romady. I hope I pronounced the name right. So, I mean, just like her experience leading one of the largest technology companies in the world would provide like some kind of unique insights on the tech landscape and its future. And also as the first woman to head the company, it would be super interesting to hear about her experiences. The second person, I would say Barack Obama. I mean, he has pretty unique perspectives on leadership, policy, global affairs. Also would be interesting to know what the White House is hiding from us all. And then the third person would be I guess a bit cheesy and a bit basic, but Elon Musk, he seems like a very, very interesting character. And I'd say like his vision for the future and just like his unique perspectives on innovations are just something that I would love to just understand. And and, and yeah, so I think those three would make an interesting dinner party for me, at least. A hundred percent. You would solve the world's problems by get all of them in a room um yeah awesome i mean we have had barack and elon before which is kind of very nice because they're they're probably like yeah the most impressive people in the world um and but genie rometti is yeah is a unique answer which is awesome um that's really cool amazing well audrey thank you so much for coming on it's great to get a bit of insight into speed invest and how it's become what it has become across Europe and its importance within the venture scene is increasing every month it seems. And it's great to understand more about how you got into venture and what you're now looking for in companies. So thanks again for coming on. It was my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for this week. Thanks very much for listening. To stay up to date with the latest episodes, please follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. We also have a newsletter called Reading Unicorns, which is another great way to get every episode direct to your inbox. Please tell your friends about it and engage with us on social media. We'll see you on the next episode.